the enhanced games, what are they? Uh, my guests have had a fair bit of time to chat about them. Joe Lukens, I'll start with you first of all. The enhanced games, they're designed to push the limits of human endeavour um, and using substances, some of which are illegal in Australia. Good morning, welcome along. Good morning, Grant, and thank you for having me <coughs> along with the panel. I was actually saying um, to the fellows outside, it was a shame we didn't record our what we were talking about out there because we obviously this is such an interesting conversation and whenever you go to any group of people and, and start talking about this topic, everyone has an opinion on it. Um, and, and I guess it does raise that question. You said it before, like what is enhanced performance, you know? So obviously in this instance we're, we're looking at, you know, the, the possibility that athletes can use any substances that they choose without detection. Um, and the question of just because we can do something, should we do it? Um, and I guess maybe can we do it if those substances are illegal in Australia, so it's it's a minefield, particularly when you're speaking to anyone from any perspective. We've all got we've all got a view on it. Well, I'm going to come to Andrew Peel in a moment, but before I do, Sean, tell us about the benefits and and if we're talking about enhanced performance and, and performance enhancing substances, um, we already take protein powders. We take pre workout, post workout. Uh, we uh, we look at different training and diet mechanisms over over the period of time. Things have expanded. Uh, we might use shoes that have got a greater rebound uh, advantage for us. We've changed the track surfaces so we can run faster. Are all of those things performance enhancing? And, and where does the limit of human endeavour come to? Yeah, good morning, Grant. Um, I think definitely those things are performance enhancing. I think this enhanced games is really going to open a minefield, like Joe mentioned, about your sort of um, anabolic steroids for the, I guess, the strength components. And then there's new supplements or um, performance-enhancing drugs out there called SARMs, which <clears throat> is a bit of a minefield at the moment because they're not tested. Um, I think... Blood doping for cyclists yeah, and, blood and endurance doping. athletes. Yeah, so what's what is blood doping? Because it gets tossed around, and we know when we're taking a substance. But what's what's blood doping? I'm not an expert on that, but I believe like from it's you know very dominant in aerobic sports. So pulling that blood out, um, cycling it back in with um, e e what is it EPH erythropoietin. Yeah, so. Yeah, there's going to be a minefield. Yeah, because they can supplement the blood that they take out, and by taking out the blood, you actually develop more red blood. Yes, uh, red blood, uh, cell red blood yep, cells. Correct. They come up, and then you put your own blood back in. Yeah, you've automatically multiplied the amount of oxygen-carrying cells in the in your system. Yeah, so on the on the earlier things, this is going to really sort of enhance that opportunity for people to increase their performance significantly. But yeah. Yeah, so we'll come back on a couple of yep. things there. Kev, let's on the uh, line with us. Kev, you're not too tired to talk after Tay Tay last night? Oh, no, I didn't go to Tay Tay last night. My wife went earlier in the week, but her boy like to play. Dr. Joe told us that you'd gone down specially to have the concert. I think you got your days wrong, Grant. I'm pretty sure she was in Sydney last night. <laughs> oh, so your story yeah. had holes in it from the start. <laughs> hey, Kev, tell us. Anabolic steroids, for a start. What are the, um, what are the, um, I suppose, substances that might be taken, and what are the health risks around things like uh, blood doping, etc.? Uh, there's a huge number of um, anabolic steroids out there, but testosterone is the base one, and then there's various variants around that as well. Um, 
the, the main problem with anabolic steroids, from my point of view, is they actually work. Uh, they do increase your um, uh, your muscle power, your muscle size, uh, but the uh, the side effects that go with them are horrendous, of course. So that's the problem from my point of view. Um, blood, blood doping sounds like a great idea. You introduce more red cells into the blood. Uh, that then increases your oxygen carrying capacity so you can go for longer and faster. Um, and it's a classic one with the cyclists. But there's been many, many deaths associated with that, um, mainly because the blood becomes thickened and can clot. And then that can lead to strokes and pulmonary embolus where the blood clot breaks off and catches in your lungs, uh, deep vein thrombosis, etc. So, uh, yeah, they're both harmful ways of doping. Yeah, and and I th- and I think they are they are interesting. And we we were talking in, at the start about the fact that there's a lot of performance enhancing things that we do use and do um, uh, I suppose experiment with. They're legal, and and generally are seen to not damage our health. Uh, but you know we we see everything from things like speed, which athletes can, uh, use and 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 try to. Accelerate. We see beta blockers being used by archers and, and shooters. Um, you know, w- what are our, our overall risks? Is it all health risks, or is it uh, is some of it more about people's ethical position on it? And yeah, you could safely, as James Magnuson has said, he's going to try and, and test out these substances under medical um, protection, so he, he thinks he'll be okay. Uh, look, I think he's. Um uh, he's been very hopeful with that. There, there may be some doctors that you can talk into um, assisting with some of that, and obviously there's been um, uh, some bad eggs everywhere. Uh, and some doctors and some trainers especially have, uh, have been pushing performance-enhancing drugs. But I don't think you can avoid the risks. Um, once you start using those medications, there is risks um, associated. Uh, even things like beta blockers, um, if you've got asthma... They can trigger off your asthma, so um, uh, they trigger off a fairly severe attack that can end you up in hospital. So they're they're not completely harmless drugs. Any of these medications that they're talking about. Yeah, and and I think that that's something we need to think about, Andrew. I want to bring you into this at the moment because they're talking about uh, utilising and uh, have running a games. It's being promoted by an Australian, but some of these substances are illegal in Australia. Um, well, two that we've already mentioned, and good morning, Valley. Good morning, listeners. Um, I mean, anabolic steroids and the Psalms are just two substances that we've touched upon already. They are both illegal in Queensland and most likely legal throughout, illegal throughout Australia. So, um, you know, an athlete training for these games, if they were to base themselves in Australia, just being in possession of either of those substances will be cri- committing a criminal act. So... I mean, that's going to make it difficult um, for any training regime to be interrupted with potentially police presence, court appearances, punishments being imposed upon them. Um, so really, um, for example, Magnuson, who's already said that he's willing to participate in these games, um, he simply won't be able to train in Australia. When based in Australia. Mm. And, and, and that's even under uh, medical prescription, uh, Kev. Can certain ones be prescribed that uh, might be seen? Um, uh, you know, even things like human growth hormone or some of those, can they be prescribed legally 
or does it have to be a medical reason as to why you would prescribe them as a doctor? No, for those medications, there needs to be a medical condition and, um, uh, you know, they're, they're not freely available. Uh, so I think um, I think we're right that people will probably have to train overseas with these kinds of medications. Yeah, and um, Joe, walk us down the path of, um, you know, and you've worked with a lot of different athletes um, who are all seeking and looking for something that will give them the edge. There's discussions that a lot of our, our sports, we've almost reached the limit. And I know you said the other day, what happens if someone comes out like Super League and says, we're going to have an, a, a new Super League where the players and the athletes can take substances, can build themselves up and then compete and play. Where do we get to on, in terms of thinking about the psychology of what it does to the athlete, where it positions the athlete and the questions they might have to, to meet? Yeah, I, I think it's a minefield for athletes in terms of what, the potential of where this could go to. And, and I... I I went back looking back yesterday and I couldn't find the original study, but I know there was a study conducted a number of years ago with athletes, um, and it speaks to what you were talking about with James Magnuson saying he's willing to have a go at this um, because this particular study was done with Olympic athletes looking at, and basically the question was put to them, if you could take substances that would enhance your performance and, there was, and they could not be detected at all, you were guaranteed of that, would you do it? And it was a very high percentage of athletes that actually said that they would. And then they posed the question even further, which I thought was curious, and they said, and if there was a high risk of death in the next 10 years, but you were guaranteed a gold medal, would you do it? And again, uh, there was this horrifying, well, I thought it was horrifying, maybe that shows my position on this on this particular issue, a high percentage of athletes who said, I'm will willing to tested as far as it can be tested so um, I, th I think for, for athletes it's it's that challenge now of course we know there's a majority of athletes I think that would probably be very much opposed to this you know we've all been talking about this in in different circles I know with even within my friendship group you know people are interestingly horrified by this but fascinated by the concept as well and and I know I said to to my group of friends just recently, you know, you're all saying this is a terrible thing and it shouldn't go get to this and this is taking sport <coughs> too far, but will you watch it? Like, mm. if it's on TV, well, you, will you watch it? You almost want to cover your eyes and just peep between the yeah, fingers. <laughs> you do. I think there was a Ben Elton book years ago that kind of tapped into this very issue and, and they all went, oh, yeah, well, I'll watch it. And I went, oh, so that's curious then, isn't it? That You know, so mm. I guess I, I'm fascinated by... The, the way this is challenging people's thinking and their morals and so forth. You know, psycho sport, sports psychology for many years, there's been questions raised about, is that performance enhancing? So there's mm. different ways of doing, but as, as Kevin's outlined, you know, the, the level of physical risk to people, but then there's also the psychological risk for athletes as well that, that sits in around this. So it's a it's just such a contentious issue. Mm. Well, we, we've seen um, Nike develop a shoe or running shoe, Andrew, that uh, uh, increased um, uh, the spring off the ground which then supported particularly um, long distance runners and they were used by one of the distance runners to uh, to test their performance and how much they could do it. Uh, there was an interesting article that's come out just during the week that there's a suggestion that in long jump um, we might remove the board and just have a point of jump from to a point of landing and Carl Lewis has come out and said it's not April Fool's Day um, half the skill is is doing this do, do we try and adapt rules as well to, to try and enhance the outcome and the performance outcome and in doing so lose some of what we 
we see specially in sport where people are confined by a rule? I mean, in enhanced games, in my personal opinion, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I want to see, I suppose, what are the limits of this human endurance. And if we take what we've watched in sport, assuming that it's been clean sport for many, many years, we have the limit at present with world records and with the enhanced games um, we'll see if those limits can be broken or, or pushed further so I, I'm interested in that aspect of things um, insofar as tinkering with rules um, to see you know how far we can take things I mean I'm, I'm all for it I I think the um, you know the removal of the corner post in rugby league is probably a very good recent example of just a tinkering with the rules to make things better and more entertaining for us, the viewers. So, um, but there are limits to um, to that. I mean, I'm you know I'm not in for this putting athletes' health at risk um, just for entertainment, for example. I, I don't mm. agree with that. But all the Romans did it. Yes, we've. I think we've moved on. A bit. We've moved that was a bit. A while ago. We've moved on a bit from then. I hope. But yeah, putting them in the lines, Sean. In your area of, of, I suppose, working in exercise science and understanding that, and certainly your your study and your area of expertise. What are the things and the cautionary tales that you've been handed as as an exercise physiologist and a specialist in that area um, through your studies at JCU that that sort of say. These things and these parts of it are are just super risky and shouldn't be crossed. I think Joe mentioned that study earlier. I recall hearing that throughout my university days. And I guess it goes back, like, a bit of devil's advocate there, but these athletes are going to make this decision regardless of if there are rules. I mean, in what we call clean sports, there's still a certain percentage of people that will be using these performance-enhancing drugs. Um, but I think, I, I sort of, we were talking about it earlier, I don't think that this will achieve, these enhanced games will probably achieve its intended purposes and that's around breaking these world records and pushing that human performance because I don't think they will get the elite of the elite participating. So they'll come back down to your middle-of-the-pack type athletes who are trying to get as good as the elite of the elite and then we will have just a sort of a, you know, on parity type performance levels coming out of the the, um, the enhanced games and then, we're, then it comes back to the ethical questions of should we let these people take the risk and I, as I said, I think they're going to take it regardless of if we say they can or can't. Is there something special, Joe, about um, the Olympics? So one of the uh, the Olympic movement and the Olympic spirits defined, uh, or they define it as mutual understanding, spirit and friendship, solidarity and fair play are fundamentals to sport. Um, are we saying that there's two different avenues that we can head down with sport that potentially we could do what we like? Um but is that taking sport away from what we, we watch for to see what the natural body can, can actually achieve and that 
uh, pushing the limits within the training. I mean, we used to talk about it. I know my early days in rugby league, and there was plenty of talk about certain sides of certain clubs that were uh, were encouraging and using them. We saw uh, more recently with uh, St Kilda um, and the Manly Seagulls and. Uh, uh, Cronulla Sutherland, all touching base with using some performance <laughs> enhancers that weren't caught, but certainly weren't legal. Um, do we miss that notion of fair play that, that's a part of sport and the message that we want to send to youngsters growing up that fair play is a really critical part of life? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the, the, the junior athlete perspective and what, what this is messaging to our kids, um, which is the part that we hadn't got to yet, so I'm glad that you let in with that part of the question. Again, being devil's advocate, I'm sure people who think that these games are a good idea are saying, well, this is the fairest it can be because we're saying do whatever you want. Um, But I don't think that was the intention around fair play when the Olympic movement was first being formed and, and being discussed. And I think certainly for those athletes... Um, who are performing at that level, they'll find it very difficult to see a sport like this, which is almost has this novelty factor around it that, you know, I think takes us away from the edge of, you know, when you think for parents who are taking their kids to sport this weekend, possibly not in Townsville because it's too wet unless it's indoor <laughs> and they're playing basketball. But, you know, like we, we're not taking our kids to those sports, obviously, with, with the intention that, gee, I hope like, my child wants to, one day gets to the point that they're taking these substances. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of challenges that, that sit around that. But, um, yeah, I, I, th- I think overwhelmingly that there's going to be a negative response to this, um, but definitely a curiosity around it as well. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. Um, Andrew, before we move on to our next topic, I suppose if we if we looked and said, well, it's okay to do it, um, it's, you know, we've got these two streams, could we, is it, does that make it okay in community to have two streams of accountants, one that keeps fair books and not picking on the accountants out there in the world, <laughs> because I've got, I've got the wife of an accountant sitting across the table from me here, but... Um, They're here to defend themselves, it's and, all right. And dodgy books, you know, and, and you can... And, and in law, I'm certain you see plenty of areas where people say, well, I'm just pushing the limits a little bit to see what the limit of success could be. Well, I suppose putting my lawyer cap on, if there are a set of rules that are established and everyone follows those rules, whether it be in stream A or stream B, provided they are consistently followed, then I suppose it's fair play. But... You know, um, I'd certainly prefer to be part of Stream A than Stream B if Stream B is the uh, the dodgy accountant. Most <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. This, this is Northern Grandstand. I'm Grant Bell, joined in the studio by psychologist Dr. Joe Lukens, uh, lawyer Andrew Peel, and uh, exercise physiologist Sean Allen. And uh, on the phone, I've got. Uh, uh, Dr. Kev Arlett, who's a uh, very experienced sports med doctor. If we move away from, from steroids, because I think we could talk, or, or the enhanced games, we could talk about it forever. Probably one of the other and most topical, and certainly during the week, we saw uh, a, a significant decision uh, taken by um, uh, one of the players in the AFL, in Brayshaw, who uh, <laughs> many of us will remember from the uh, semi finals, got, uh, got cleaned up in uh, a, a jumping contact uh, that knocked him out. He's got a history of head injury and the doctors have suggested that he's got uh, early signs of CTE and he shouldn't participate anymore. Um, Kev, can you broadly talk to us about what CTE is and what it might mean for, for an athlete? 
Uh, yeah, CTE is a, um, a condition that you get from repeated concussions or repeated head knocks. Um, and in fact, you you don't even need to be knocked out to develop CTE. So um, uh, it's called chronic traumatic encephalitis. What happens is the brain becomes damaged over time. And uh, the symptoms can be quite varied and difficult to diagnose. Usually just diagnose at autopsy. So after the person has died, you, there is certain criteria uh, when they dissect the brain that diagnose the condition on. But the condition can be life as well, of course. Um, you can have mood changes. You can have uh, increased risk-taking, lack of... Um, uh, the ability to stop yourself when you want to do something. So there's all sorts of conditions that can happen and been associated with a number of suicides, including Paul Green, of course. Yeah, the, and, and there are such a, a range of things. It's interesting because we think about concussion as being something that happens in collision sports, uh, like your football codes. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. There's an article that talks about um, 10 elite-level athletes who've retired because of concussion concerns and potential concerns for later in life. Uh, there are uh, NFL, uh, NFL players... There are ice hockey players, there's uh, luge and skeleton competitors, uh, there are football players, soccer players, there's figure skating in the US, there's snowboarding um, from a US athlete. Um, th th and, of course, uh, in Australia, we've got rugby league and AFL players. Um, it's not limited to just contact sports. And I'm interested because we, we know so much about this now... Um, what are the potential risks for associations and clubs, etc., Andrew, if they decide to go down the path and say, look, yeah, it's up to you if you want to play. You know there's an injury risk there, but, you know, we'll just do our best. Well, fortunately, the law has developed uh, around this area for quite some time, just not in respect to concussion, which is um, the injuries that seem to be in the limelight at the moment. Generally speaking, a um, person who voluntarily um, attends a sport and it's recognised as a potentially a high-risk activity, like rugby league would be, the law generally says that um, you know an employer or a club or a sporting club is not responsible for those recognised risks occurring in the course of sport. So um, concussion, I think, would fall into that category as well. Um, and it's been around for, for a very long time. Um, it is, in fact, a Latin maxim I learnt at university. It's uh, volenti non fit injuria. No injury can come to those that consent. So that's developed further through Australian case law. I think the High Court's given a decision um, in respect to a injury that occurred in a rugby union scrum. And again, the club was not found at fault um, when those catastrophic injuries happened <coughs> to that rugby union player. So... I get the feeling that concussion would fall within the same ambit of of, of risk, particularly now that players and clubs are becoming um, more aware of it. Um, people, sportsmen, professional sportsmen and women in particular, will continue to make the decision to risk it, I guess, in order to um, make a fairly good living out of professional sports. So I, I, I don't think that 
clubs, even recreational clubs, have too much to worry about at this point in time, but the law develops every day and the law can change, I guess. And some of it, I suppose, is the concerns about uh, the impact on, on juniors and children. Um, James Graham, who's progressively grown in his understanding of head injuries and changed his view and changed his thoughts, said a couple of years ago on one of the uh, rugby league sports shows, he said, maybe for me, the meaning of life was finding something worth dying for and, and was that rugby league? And, and he sort of expanded on that, that, well, if I've made my choice free and openly knowing this, I wouldn't change anything, even though there's that risk. Does that, him making that statement, indemnify him against joining a class action down the line, which uh, we're seeing in AFL, uh, class actions at the moment around head injuries. We've seen them in the US and payments coming out already around this head injuries to say, well, you've got a duty of care to protect me. Um, I mean, those types of comments won't help him if in a couple of years' time he does decide to pursue um, a club or a join a class action. Um, and, and any class action still has to be run in accordance with the law. And I, I think the law is on the side of um, these players accepting the risk, a known risk, in a, in a what is a, considered a risky sport or a risky activity. So... Um, Obviously, with class actions, and I think what a lot of the organisations that are involved in running sports are concerned of is that they are exposed to a risk at the moment. It's a financial risk. Um, if lots of players join a class action and then decide to pursue, for example, the NRL, then um, with any litigation, you don't know what the outcome will be until a court delivers it. And it is an exposure to a great degree of risk, financial risk. So... Um, the law will develop, I think, and if these class actions do arise in the future, then courts will have to determine what the outcome is. I think if it's determined today, I suspect that the courts would find in favour of the clubs and say, consistent with previous decisions, this is a known risk and you voluntarily uh, engaged in that risky activity. Sean, um, there's, there's a range of different mechanics and, and issues that can lead to a concussion or a head knock, but there's also uh, over time been developed mouth guards, which are designed to absorb some of the, uh, the, the I suppose, vibration or the movement in the, uh, in the skull and reduce the, the risks there. Um, there's certainly a lot of work around neck exercises and strengthening, etc. Um, there's use of soft headgear in, in the NFL solid head gear. What areas have you looked at in, in terms of exercise physiology and in sport that, that perhaps discuss some of those aspects? Oh, me personally, I haven't really delved into the world of concussion training, but like, as you said, there's definitely, I guess, some uh, work that can be done in terms of and performance, like sports performance is probably moving in that way, working out the right training protocols to support these athletes that might, you know, be more exposed to concussions through contact sports and vice versa. But I think it goes back to what Kev said earlier that these things can't be picked up, like the, the effects of CTE can't be picked up, like there's not drops in performance in players. So, yeah, it's, it's a grey area. We're seeing, we're seeing um, athletes, um, certainly some changes in behaviour post 
post-career. There's also a lot of science that allows us to monitor movements. Uh, athletes can wear GPSs which monitor movement but also monitor times of collision and contact. Um, they're things that we can measure and rather than limiting perhaps the number of contact sessions which is being proposed um, in contact sports, is there a, a, an ability to track the number of collisions an athlete might have over a, a, a three-week, four-week period and perhaps just say at, at every 300 contacts yeah, that you need, to do, that you need to do some sort of a scan? That data is starting to probably... It's in its infancy and it's starting to come out, but like you mentioned, the... The effects of CTE come later in life and that's the big struggle is that it might not be evident early in their playing days. So, the I mean, Brayshaw retiring at 28, is it is it too late or is it too early? I guess those questions will come later on. Yeah, if Joe, they, they, with, with Brayshaw, they, they, they've looked and seen changes and black spots on his brain, so there's definitely been brain changes. Uh, they've seen that with other athletes and certainly CTE can only formally be dis uh, diagnosed post-career, but there is that opportunity to look at things. Um, you've dealt with a lot of footballers. Are some of them concerned about this and concerned about memory loss and, and potentially Alzheimer's, um, things like that? I would say from those that I've seen, so obviously it's not a representative of the of the whole of of the sport, but certainly players who are currently playing have an awareness of it because, as, as Kevin will tell you, the, the the progress within the sport and the concussion protocols and so forth and monitoring has has significantly um, changed since you know e even if you look at a club like the Cowboys in, in that duration from from those early years through to to what happens now in the game. So we've certainly seen that players are certainly aware of it and aware of the protocols. Um, I think that some of the players that are currently playing now know that because the clubs are putting steps in place to monitor it, there's some comfort in that for them. And whether there's enough steps in place, again, it's, it's going to be one of those evolving fields. Where I actually hear more concern expressed is retired players. Um, so those players who've moved out of the game. Um, and as Kevin said, you know, some of those symptoms that you see that are consistent with CTE, mood changes, um, more, uh, you know, risk-taking behaviours or erratic behaviours, those sorts of things. What I've found is in retired players, um, they they might notice that in themselves and then they're concerned. So, you know, for players who are retiring from their sports because of these risks and concerns, I think from their mental health perspective, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to support those athletes and their families because I certainly know post career I mean it's 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 one thing it's a bit it's a bit even though it's completely different to what we were the previous topic we were looking at you know the optimism that athletes might go into their sport and what they're prepared to do because at this point in time in my life this is the most important thing you gain perspective and some hopefully some wisdom over the years and so then out you know we can't assume that the way we think now is how it's going to be in in time to come so it's those concerns post career that I have lots of uh, former players raise with me um my, you know many many and times yeah absolutely kev um 
some of those equipment, I know there's been discussion, and we're going to have to wrap up very quickly, but uh, there's been discussion about using soft and hard helmets. Uh, in Australia, we certainly see a lot of, um, or an increasing number of players, and certainly in the junior ranks, uh, wearing that. It, it, should it be something that is compulsory to wear some soft headgear from a young age group and to have a properly fitted mouth guard every year? Uh, look, I, I think the mouth guard, I think, is, um, is probably a great idea. Uh, that certainly has been shown to reduce head injuries. The The problem with the soft headgear is it, it does protect from direct collision, but it actually increases the force when you get a glancing blow and you get a twisting tide movement on the head. And uh, we mustn't forget that the brain is actually sitting in a sack of water inside a hard skull. So any sort of movement inside the, um, the skull itself can damage the brain. So, so it's a bit... It's a bit hard to know whether to um, enforce soft uh, headwear. I think that's a good idea for younger people. But when we're talking high-speed collisions, uh, which may be glancing, such as in the NRL you see fairly frequently, it can cause its own problems. I, I do worry about the hard headgear like they use in the NFL, as that, um, that headgear is, excuse me, is actually used as a weapon. Um, and I think that that's the uh, obvious thing that would happen if the NRL introduced hard headgear as well. So you, so you also get an increased um, rotational force with um, with a headgear too, I would imagine. Yes, it's that that increased rotational force is the real problem. Um, so for direct collision, great. They work like magic. They do decrease the uh, the collision. You can build in the. Um, a shock absorption into that, but the glancing blow where it hits on the side of the headgear, you do get that twisting effect and that can cause problems. Well, look, guys, I, I really appreciate everyone's time here. There's so many things that we can talk about in this, but I do have to wrap up because we've got to talk about some other issues. But uh, Dr Joe Lukens, Andrew Peel, Sean Allen and, and Kev Arlett, I really appreciate your time this morning to talk about this. And uh, it is, uh, I think, a topic that we, we're going to increasingly explore uh, when we talk about um, issues in sport and, and concerns in sport. Uh, I've got to say I'm not a fan of the enhanced games. I, I like the, the purest thought. And I, as, a, as somebody who loves rugby league, has had a great... Uh, uh, time and career and everything else in and around the sport, I, I, I do share some concerns about it and I talk to players who've got concerns. I don't think it's a reason to say don't play. I think we're looking at changes to rules and techniques, etc., that are probably upon clubs. But thanks very much, all of you, for joining us this morning. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, thanks, Grant. This is Northern Grandstand. I'm Grant Bell. We're going to be back in uh, just a moment to talk basketball with uh, Rod Anderson. This is Northern Grandstand.